This. This is, this is Diversified, Diversified. Diversified. Game. 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 A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. It's Kellen, and today on Diversified Game, I have been waiting for this interview, you guys, for at least three weeks, if not a month. I got JP, aka John Paul Awoha, all the way from Lagos, Nigeria. And you guys have heard me. Some of you have seen me lift up this book. This book is the book, not of the year. I say this is the book of the decade if you have an interest or a love for Africa. They just don't show you how to make money. They reference people like past guests of ours, Susie Beauty, who have made over a million dollars in their company. And she verified it when she was on here that how they did it what they did it with. They really did their research. And John Paul was the co-author with Dr. Harnett. And I just welcome you to the show, my brother. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you very well. I'm doing, I'm excited to be here. I'm I'm glad, very glad. Break it down, what this book for you and Dr. Harnett was all about. Why did you do it? What is your company about? Give them the game, please. Okay, so this book is the product of a shock value. I actually had going on Amazon, which is more or less the world's biggest bookstore, and looking for uh, a book about opportunities in Africa, you know? And this is more or less um, a, a decade after the whole Africa rising narrative. You know, Africa is growing, the economies are growing. So I thought, you know, somebody should have written stuff. So I went, I went there and I saw, I think it was about two books at the time. None of them was written by an African. So this is more or less in the same line of telling our story from the outside looking in. And I'm thinking, when do Africans start to own the narrative and then tell the world what is happening here in an African voice with African boots on the ground? So that's when, you know, I and Dr. Um, Harnett, book reason, put our heads together and said, I think this is the best time to do this, you know? And then we started and... It was, you know, many of the stories in the book were not difficult to come by. These things were already going on in the local media. They were already going on in grapevines, on social media. But nobody had curated them in a format where the outside world, the outside world could look in and say, oh, so this is like more or less a compendium of what exactly is going on on the African continent. And I'm glad we, we put that together. We're able to tell the story of the continent. There's nothing new in there that Africans don't know. But it's important that for those Africans who do not understand what's going on on their own continent or for people on the, on the outside, especially in the African diaspora, who more or less um, may have bought into the narrative of the mainstream media, where Africa is much more about charity, about philanthropy, about problems, about avoidance, you know, things like that. This book presents a counter argument that the problems you actually see in Africa are actually opportunities. The, the things you're attacking with philanthropy, these are the guys who are building and uh, who are using entrepreneurship to solve the same problems that philanthropy has been trying to solve in Africa for decades. So we've been pumping money from the US, from Europe, and all we've achieved is, you know, creating a sense of entitlement, a sense of dependency, and not really solving the problem because there's no incentive to solve the problem when you're providing free money like philanthropy. you the person on the ground knows that if they solve that problem, the money stops flowing. So nobody solves a problem because it's in their best interest to perpetrate the problem. But on the other side, the entrepreneurs are trying to solve the very same problems. And what we're seeing is they're solving them in very entrepreneurial, in very innovative, and more importantly, sustainable ways. Where the people on the ground want to solve the problem because they see the benefits in solving the problem. This is totally um, the opposite view of philanthropy, where we are giving aid to Africa, but the aid never really solves any problem. Poverty is getting worse. Illiteracy is getting worse. Life expectancy dropping. You know, all the indices, if you look at them, is getting worse. And Africa has received billions, hundreds of billions of aid over the last five decades. And Africa is getting worse. So it doesn't make any sense. All that money, that's taxpayers' money from Europeans, from Americans, not solving any problem. But what we're seeing is entrepreneurs who have 
far less money, far less access to money, are being very ingenious, very innovative, very creative, and they are doing a better job of solving these problems. And I'm hoping during these conversations, I'll, during this conversation, I'll be able to touch on specific examples of how, of how entrepreneurs are doing a better job than foreign aid and donor money and all of that in more or less trying to help Africa. Africa doesn't need help. Africa needs to solve its own problems and needs partnership, it needs support, it needs trade, it needs equal access to opportunity. That's exactly what Africa needs. So if you're looking, with, if you're looking at Africa with pity, you've been missing the script for a long time. Man, that, that's so true. It, or th- I think of another um, good book by um, Dead Aid by Dembisa Nim- exactly. Moyo. Moyo. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and when she came out with that book, people looked at her like, oh, man, how can you say that? You know, we need more, especially those higher ups <laughs> our, our, our grandfathers who, you know, the 65 and up who have been eating this aid and chopping it for their own being. They've been chopping it like soya, you know, and just <laughs> but but but. I'm glad that you said that because, you know, for the um, diaspora, um, especially here in America, that are just learning about, you know, where they come from and getting their, you know, bloodline and, and seeing, I tell them all, you can't come to Africa and teach them anything. What you can do is come bring a business. You, we can't even figure out problems in our own cities. And so mm-hmm. people think they're going to be a savior to Africa. You know, and that's why I love your book, because why don't you take your savings and invest it? And your book gives such a great highlight. I mean, I, I cannot. He didn't pay me to say this. I reached out to JP. The it, it gives so many examples. And you guys really did your research. How long did it take you to write this book? Um, a year plus, let's say more or less, give or take 18 months. And that's because we were under pressure the whole time. You know, this was like sustained pressure. And we wanted, we were under pressure. And on the other side, we wanted to make sure we left the right impression. You know, Africa is more or less starting from a disadvantaged position. If we had come out with something inferior, people would have said, I'm not surprised. What else did you expect from Africans? You know, and these guys don't know that Africans are some of the most educated when it comes to the middle class and, you know, the upper class with some of the most educated people. And for some people, they can't wrap their heads around it. Because every single time you see Africa in the media, it's some poverty-stricken, hungry child. It's some uh, war-ravaged situation. People don't even know that, for example, that there are organized cities and skyscrapers and solid buildings. People don't get that. And I was really shocked because I grew up on Western media. You know, I grew up on all the cartoons on Hollywood and all of this. So I've always had a very solid impression of the West as, you know, very exposed, you understand the way the world works. And, but it was really disappointing for me the, the very poor grasp they had of Africa. Maybe the best sites where they have like very wild animals, you can go on a safari, everybody there lives in a hut. You know, I thought this was a joke, but then even on Amazon, you, so when this book came out, I got a lot of pushback, even on an enlightened platform like say LinkedIn, where you would expect that people know better. And then there were allegations like, um, who, who the hell is sponsoring you to write all this stuff about Africa? Africa needs help. You know, why are you writing all this stuff? This is propaganda. And, you know, that was the point I realized that this is not a joke. These guys actually believe this stuff. And then when you ask them, why don't you come over to Africa and come see for yourself? They say, yes, there's the insecurity. I might get kidnapped. It's a war ravaged zone. Do you actually have uh, planes flying into Africa? And... The other thing I see is Mark Zuckerberg has been in Africa two, three times. The, the last time he was in Lagos, he went for a morning jog. Now, this was in, like in the major business district. It was Mark Zuckerberg, like one of the top 10 richest people in the world, just taking a jog, you know, somewhere in, 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 in a random street in Lagos. Bill Gates has been in Africa several different times. Um, what's his name? The, the, the CEO of um, Jack Dorsey has been here to several different times. So what I see is a huge chunk of the population in the West does not really understand the continent. But the top 1%, do, they, they do. They get it. Why else would Mark Zuckerberg be here? He doesn't, he doesn't, Mark Zuckerberg has first-hand experience. He doesn't need to listen to what the media tells him about Africa. He's been, he's been here for himself. Bill Gates doesn't need to listen to what the media tells him. 
He's been here for himself. So that's exactly what I'm asking people to do. Look beyond what you see. So if, if, you, if you look at what they're showing you, you're just seeing problems. But what I'm telling you is that on the flip side of those problems, that's where all the wealth has been created. For every um, poverty you see, the people who are trying to dig those people out of poverty are creating billions of dollars in wealth in agribusiness, in financial access, in energy access, in urban logistics, in accommodation. The list is endless. So we could easily come out with another 101, 101 ways to make money in Africa. Easy. And it makes sense because the, gap, the gaps in the developed world are closing really fast. The needs are much more sophisticated. But in Africa, the needs are still basic. You can play and test and more or less break things because the needs here are still at a very basic and fundamental level, which gives you a lot of leeway, which means that the little guys can play in Africa. But you really may not be able to play in America because almost everything is taken. But the little guy has a big chance to play here in Africa. And I'm hoping I'll give you more specific examples as we progress. Yes. And when you talk about, you know, being able to play in America, I, I don't know. Have you been here yet? No, no, I haven't been. I haven't been to the West there, before. There, there are certain states, many states that you need even a license to plait hair, to braid hair. So if, can you imagine that you're trying to, you know, come up as a young person and you need a license first and to go through some type of training to pay before you can even braid hair? It just doesn't it, it, it doesn't make sense. Exactly. And, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't. That, that's something you mentioned. You know, this whole the, the bar is still the bar is really high for the for the for the little guy. I want to give one very important and timely example. During the fight against COVID in the US, there's a small startup that played a role in the delivery of critical medical supplies. The name of that startup is called Zipline. They are a drone delivery service. So they use drones to deliver critical supplies to areas that are difficult to reach. And guess where that's, that, now it's all, it's, all the, it's all a concept by American entrepreneurs but they couldn't build that technology in the US because of all the licenses and certifications that you require from the FAA and things like that. So they couldn't do it in the US. They had to build that technology and test it in Rwanda. They've been in Rwanda for, for several different years. They've accomplished amazing feats in Rwanda. And if you know Rwanda, it's a very hilly country. So very remote villages and places that are hard to reach by land those drones actually reach hospitals there in remote areas and supply those critical medicines and blood for transfusion and things like that. And then COVID hit. And then America needed all, all of its best. And Zipline was mustered from Africa to go save the US. Now, the reason that happened was that those little guys could have not flourished in the US because of the... The, the bars, are, the bars are, are raised so high that you need big money and maybe big connections to play in a sophisticated market like, like the U.S. But in Africa, it's still very flat ground. You can test, you can test stuff here. Well, well, let me tell you a story that even connects to Nigeria directly. It was over 15 years ago, um, you know, pre-World Cup, when I went to uh, South Africa for the first time. And I came back and I talked to one of the big media companies, the biggest, really. And I said, you know what? We should have texting during TV. And I said, radio should be TV as well. And they wanted to laugh me out of the office. I said, well, I just came and spent a month in South Africa and texting during TV has already been going on with Channel O. And, you know, and Channel O was everywhere, you know, Channel exactly. from, you know, and, and they said it wasn't how. It was why were you in Africa? Because these were, you know, these weren't people who looked like us, um, you know, majority. And how could you know something we don't know? But Zipline is an example of that. I lived in Seattle. We just moved to Florida. And see, Amazon has wanted to do drones for the longest. You need an act of Congress to fly something, you know, I 
to fly and drop it off. It's scaring people. So Africa, I don't tell people Africa is the future. Africa is the now and the future. It's always been. It's just yeah. where have you been? Because, you know, <laughs> people have been making money doing things they could not do in America. Have you ever seen the movie Black Without Borders? No, I haven't. I'll send it's it to you. Okay. It, it's no, it's on um, it's on YouTube. I'll send it to you probably during okay. this interview sometime. And there's okay. a guy there who says I wanted to build my company in America. A black man. He said I had to come to America uh, to Africa because they would not let me do what I wanted to do in communication. Now I'm the biggest communication company on the continent. I took my thirty million dollars to Africa. I'm I'm the biggest right at that cool. point. And so I, I say what you're saying is spot on. And I hope people wrote that down because I surely did. I was just hey, zip line. And then I'm seeing the drones go off. I'm like, that is awesome. JP, you don't just write about this stuff, though. I mean, you really teach it on your website, you know, and the, his website links are in the description. Smallstarter.com. He has courses on this. Tell us what is your day to day life outside of, you know, being a great author? Okay, so I, at my core, I'm a teacher, and this is not, it's, it's not like the best of um, professions over here. Very few people grow up in Africa saying they want to be teachers. It's a very noble profession, but it doesn't really pay well. So in my old life, I was an, an engineer. I trained as an engineer and then became an accountant and then became a business professional, and now I'm a teacher because all of all those things I learned built me. Now, the, the core problem, which is a major opportunity that I'm focused on on the African continent is the education system is built to produce drones. Now, here's what I mean. They are built to produce robots. What it means is that the moment you, fin you, you give three years of your life or four years of your life, you graduate from school. I was also a product of this. They give you a certificate and then tell you, we're done. So if nobody's going to look at that certificate and say, wow, okay, here you go, you have a job, you're basically useless. Without a job, even though you're trained and you have a paper that says you have a degree or a diploma, you're basically useless to the economy because you cannot, you, you can't produce anything. And there's something fundamentally wrong there because it shows a basic lack of thinking because people think that jobs exist by default. No. Jobs are created somehow. And then we need to ask this question, where do jobs come from? People create jobs. People, some people have this wrong notion that governments create jobs. I, I don't even know any economy, including the US, any major developed economy that doesn't have its engine as small business. Government might create as many agencies and parastatals as they want, but they are not the major engine for job creation. It's entrepreneurs. It's people with dreams, people with visions, People who want to correct something in the market, in society, people who have a burning desire to do something, they start something. And then a couple of people give them money and then they realize, you know, I can't do this alone. I need help. I need help in my finances, in, in customer service, in administration. And then they start to hire people. That's how jobs are created. Jobs are created because entrepreneurs need help. So what it means is that if you are in an environment where there are a lot of problems, entrepreneurs are drawn to problems because Problems help to bring out your creativity. They present an opportunity for you to be innovative. So if you're in an environment like Africa, like the way I say, although, although, it's, um, although it's very controversial, but I, I always say that Africa is blessed with problems. And I mean that in a very solid way. Because anywhere you have problems, naturally, entrepreneurs go in there. The railroads were not built in America because the people who wanted to build it you, you, you didn't have anything to do. It wasn't built out of a desire for leisure. People didn't go to the wild, wild west because they were looking for adventure. They were, they were looking, you know, those presented opportunities. Nobody has ever gone there before. Nobody has ever done this before. That's what drives entrepreneurs. Why people run away from problems? Entrepreneurs are the kinds of people who run toward problems. So if you have a place like Africa where there are a lot of problems, and what annoys me the most is that most of the people who are around the problems, complain about the problems. That's not the, right, that's not the right approach to a problem. A problem is calling for a solution. So while people complain and blame, they could be blaming, you know, um, could, most times these days it's the government, it could be the environment, it could be, 
It could be colonial masters. You know, <clears throat> it could be, you know, that, that the West is plotting against Africa. Yes, there might be some truth in that. But we also share a huge chunk of the blame. Most of the problems in the world are right here. That's the advantage that entrepreneurs have. So when you have millions of people being graduated from schools and they tell you they are unemployed because nobody wants to employ them, they are clearly missing the script because they don't know where jobs come from. So I, I, I can't tell you I, I was trained for four years, five years actually for me as an engineer. I come out after all those training and I can't do something to solve a problem that somebody will pay me for. I just sit back at home and say, I don't have a job because I'm waiting for somebody to employ me so I can work in this big machine as one small component in the machine. So we need an entrepreneurial revolution on the African continent. We need more people as entrepreneurs because the more entrepreneurs we have, the more jobs we can create. The more jobs we can create, the more wealth we can create, the, the better the society will be. So that's exactly where small starter kicks in. And it's across the spectrum. All the clients I have, they range from people who are still in school to people who already work at a job, but they are haunted by a business dream that they have. And I also have a couple of people who are already past the age of retirement. And they're thinking about you know, what to do in active retirement. These things are not being taught in our schools. So what do you do with a business idea? How do you vet it, validate it, make it happen? How do you raise capital? How do you sell? How do you build a team? You're growing your business. How do you build business systems? All these things are not, they're not easily accessible here. So that's exactly where I fit in. I'm running a platform for entrepreneurs. And it's not just with um, um, training. Entrepreneurship is a lifestyle. It's not something you go to school and then say, I'm done. I'm an entrepreneur. It's something you, you, you go to the games every day. You wake up every morning, you're going to the games. And if you go to the games, you need your coach. You need the team beside you and all of that. So that is the support we're providing to entrepreneurs. So directly to answer your question, on a typical day, I get emails and phone calls from my different clients who are saying, I'm walking into this meeting with an investor. This is what he's asking for. How do I approach it? I'm having this issue with this staff. I'm thinking of firing. What do you think I should do? I just crafted this sales pitch. What do you think? So I've built a community of people who are building different kinds of businesses across the African continent. And guess what? I built this for Africa. But I have people on that continent from, very, um, from places I never expected. For example, we have somebody in the, in the team who works in Australia, but is, in, is from Kiribati in the Pacific Islands. I have people from Finland, Norway, you know, across the world. So this was built for Africans, but I can see that there's a lot of interest coming from around the world. As I also have a lot of, um, I also have a lot of um, members from the Africa diaspora, which I think is the major force that could unlock Africa. Africa has a potential, massive potential in the African diaspora. But so far, it's like an inert force. If we put together the wealth of the African diaspora in the US, the African-American community is what, 40 million plus? Brazil has a large, very large um, African descendant population. Europe also has the same thing. If we muscle all of this and channel it as a force on the African continent, it's going to be a very different story. And I think we're gradually getting to that point. I believe so. And, you know, the, the other thing I sometimes worry about is people, especially from America, coming too soon without getting a very grasp on the culture because the, the Western culture is very selfish, uh, whereas in Africa, it's about you're never going to go hungry. You're not going to go hungry, especially coming from America. Once you even open your mouth, somebody's going to be offering you, you want to come eat. And, you know, there, mm -hmm. there's too there's too much. And we need to understand that we're coming um, to kind of declutter and decolonize our mind. And we need to, you know, get the experts who are on the ground like yourself before we jump and give a whole bunch of money to somebody or even a little bit of money. Because we're seeing now with the power of YouTube, there's very, a lot of people having a good time, but there's that small handful who are bringing those toxic American colonizer ways. And then they're going on YouTube. And of course, negativity always, you know, knocks mm -hmm. out anything positive. That's you could see CNN, BBC, all of that negative stories win. I'm a media guy, so I, I, I get it. Mm -hmm. 
But we, we, they need to come and understand like a course like yours, which a lot of your stuff is free. I mean, you're going for sainthood, JP. <laughs> you're going for sainthood with this, you know. You, but, but for those who are like really serious and they say, look, I don't even know anyone on the ground. Um, can you take them and say, look, I can manage our, your 100,000 maybe you're 10,000 and show you how to, you know, get those plans. Cause I know you're a teacher and you're a teacher at heart, but you are a real consultant. So is that something that they can come to you directly with and the buck stops there and you can help them with that? Okay. So there are two ways to play this. If you want to be passive, but not miss out on the African opportunity, there are a number of funds, Africa focused funds that are rising up here and there. And it gives me great joy because I'm, I'm starting to see some of our best minds. And I, I forgot to mention this. By the way, most of our best minds are locked up in corporates. Africa has like very bright people, but they're working for all these big names and corporations. And I don't blame them because they want the money. But there's a magic that happens when they have the balls to come out into the wild, like I am. Because I also was in corporate and I, I saw the difference. So you can, you can earn big money in corporate. But there's a lot of impact you can do in the wild with the kind of expertise that we have, you know, that sort of thing. So if you want to play, if you want it, if you want it to be a passive play, you can focus on an investment fund, putting your money there, and then those guys actually handle it for you. But I'm more, I am more active on the active side. People who want to do it. And there are different ways this can play. I've seen a couple of interesting partnerships. One common uh, um, challenge that people have when they're building businesses on the ground in Africa is they've seen their trust betrayed several different times. And most times it's even from people you trust. It could be from family members and things like that. You give them money and then the money is gone. But then all those horror stories also have the good sides where there are people who have forged like solid uh, partnerships here on the ground. And there are different ways we can, we can play this. One I see is in the virtual space. So I, I currently have a member of my insiders community. I hope I get the chance to talk more about the insiders community later. He's building, he's built a, a B2B platform that makes it possible for people in the West, outside of Africa, to order items from small businesses on the ground. So within the last four weeks, we've seen trades. Somebody in Canada ordered share butter, and then that was completed. Somebody else in the US to order share butter. We've seen um, handcrafted um, slippers and, you know, other kinds of crafts being traded in little uh, amounts. And this guy is on the ground in Ghana. He has his team in the U.S. And then there's an interesting thing that happens when partnerships work. Because the guys in the U.S. have access to a bigger market. You have access to more opportunities and more access to capital. So that combination is in there. But the advantage of the virtual side is that you can monitor how well the business is doing from wherever you are. So the potential for BS is quite low with those kinds of, of businesses. There are also situations where people come on the ground and they find very good, um, um, very good people on the ground to be their suppliers. So where people get burned is they bring money and they invest in the business and they ask some local partner to handle it for them. So in the end, you're taking all the risk, but what's this guy taking? So you're, you're grateful that he's, he's investing his time and his energy or her time and energy. But in terms of financial risk, you're bearing 100% of the risk. So what you need is for somebody, for that other person to have some skin in the game. Without any skin in the game, there's really no incentive for them to watch, watch out for you. So what we see is you see a business that's doing well on the ground here. They're, they, the product is fantastic. But the problem they have is they don't have access to market. You're coming from the U.S. or from Europe, where you know the market is there, the economy is much bigger. The arrangement is very simple. You supply me this product to the U.S., and then I do the sales. The advantage is that compared to what people are going to sell, compared to how much you're going to sell it locally, I can pay you a premium. And then I know I'm going to get a much better price in the U.S. Sometimes to humor myself, I get on Etsy or Amazon and I look at some products that I know have an African origin. And every single time I find myself screaming because I see the profit margins are outrageous. But from an, from an American market perspective, the prices are nothing. So that's the advantage here. You find somebody who is building something solid on the ground. 
you handle the market side. So you buy from him or her and you sell in the market. The reason they're going to sell to you is you give them better prices. And then it's like a win-win. So I'm always looking to structure those win-win arrangements where the two parties have skin in the game. The risk is not um, unevenly shared where one party bears the burden. And then on the extreme side, I've seen people who have said, you know, I've had it in the US, I've had it in Europe, I'm moving back. So, and then when they move back, of course, they need some kind of business to sustain them. So those are like my very hands-on people who are running things on the ground. And there are a couple of hybrids. I have a, I have a, a member of the Insiders who is based in Norway, but he's building up a, a nuts farm in his native Zimbabwe. So the benefit of that is you come, you come in two times or three times in a year. If you're planting trees, your trees are not going anywhere. You know, so you're going to always see your trees. They're always there. So if you're going to deal in a business, it's either virtual, like I explained, or find a win-win partnership or come in, um, come in full scale, you know, do it yourself. So these are the three models I see that work very well with my clients and with my members. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And, and talk more about you were saying the insiders community. Yeah. Give us the game. What, what is the insiders community? Okay, so normally when, when people find out about my work is either through my book or through my articles or through my activity on platforms like LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I have almost a million followers. And in 2018, LinkedIn recognized me as a top voice on startups and entrepreneurship. So there are people who find me that way and then they land on the website and there's a lot of good stuff. The, the courses are free. But then the reason this is, is when I started, when I started Small Starter, it was the traditional consulting model, one-on-one. I deal with one-on-one -on -one clients. But that's not the reason why I left corporate. I left corporate because I wanted to make more impact. And if I'm dealing with one-on-one, uh, -on -one, then there's really, no, there's really no point. So I was looking for a way to be one-to-many, to help many people at the same time. But then I'm from Nigeria, and I know what I'm, what, what I'm up against in terms of what our online reputation is. So you come up and say, oh, that guy's from Nigeria and he's asking, he's trying to sell me this book. Maybe he's trying to flip some Nigerian prince thing on me and stuff like that. So my model is different. I demonstrate value in advance. So that's why you see a lot of free stuff. So, and, and the thinking is, if somebody can give away this kind of stuff for free, imagine what you're going to get if you're on a paid engagement. And the second reason I do that is to, select the kind of people who work with me. By the time you decide to work with me, you've already gone through much of my stuff that you, you're used to my style, you're used to my personality, you already like my stuff. So you're already sold on the idea of working with me even before I, I give you the chance to, to work with me. So that's why there's a lot of... So some people come, they consume, they go. And three, four years down the line, I get an email thanking me about how the free content they got helped them. It's fine because... The bottom line is we are help, I'm helping to propagate this movement. The more entrepreneurs we can get started, the more jobs we can create, the more wealth we can unlock. And I can only serve as many people. So that's why I created the Insiders community. So rather than have a one-on-one, -on -one, I've created a community where people coming from different African countries, from different parts of the world, working on different kinds of businesses at different stages of their journey, and we are basically sharing experiences, helping each other, creating, you know, um, um, generating ideas, cross-pollination. And that is very monumental because if you look at all the major professions, lawyers have their associations, doctors do the same thing. Entrepreneurship is more or less a, an individual um, journey. Most people just work in silos. We really don't talk to ourselves and things like that. And then there's this whole thing about competition. If I tell you about my business idea, maybe you're going to steal it from me. And what I typically tell my clients, and any one of them listening to this will laugh, if somebody can steal your idea, it wasn't really yours anyway, because there needs to be something that gives you an edge that either scares up, scares off anybody who's trying to work on that idea, or just the person sees it and says, there's no point working on this. This guy has done a really great job. So if somebody can steal your business idea, I really think, um, I don't think you should be bothered. The person actually did you a favor because if you had gone ahead to invest money and time and energy and they stole it down the road, then you're in big trouble. 
Man, that that's a real game on um shows like Shark Tank here in America. Yeah. They talk about you know uh, Kevin always says I could spend my own money and and beat you in your own game. And so <laughs> I and, and you know and, and if people are believers, you know what is for you, God will will let you know what in the scriptures. Um, what is for you is for you. No one can take it from you. So for True. me, I, I'll share everything in hopes that you take it because I have so many ideas, please. So I don't have to do it. Uh, please. Exactly. Um, exactly. Now, now the insiders community people, it's um, a, a reasonable amount of money to pay to get that insight. It's, and it's I don't a monthly, it's, a, it's a monthly subscription. It's actually $37 a month, but for the kind of value you get. And even if you, I was going to work with you one-on-one, of course, that's not my charge out rate. You understand? So the thing is, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to get people to start working together at a price that when compared to the kind of value they're getting in their business, in their personal development, is nothing. And that's really what, that's really, that's really what we need. We need more people to gain access to this stuff. So it's access I'm looking for. Yeah, really. Most of the money is, most of the money is made in high-end consulting, uh, maybe government gigs, big corporates and stuff like that. But I can only take on a couple, you know, every yeah. year. But then working with these people, it get, that's where my fulfillment comes from. That's why I'm in the game. That's exactly why I'm in the game. The fulfillment, you know, helping somebody overcome something that could easily have cost them a lot of money. And just because we had that one conversation, you know, and my focus is always on the strategy. People focus a lot on the small stuff. We sweat the small stuff the things that can move the needle. I focus on the strategic stuff. And anybody who's a fan of chess understands the value of strategy. You can go ahead and, you know, use all your pawns and, you are, and just one move, one move, and you're out. So that's yeah. exactly how I look at business. What is that one move? What is that one decision? What is that one action you can take that changes everything for you? And you need to see the look in people's eyes when it happens. It's like magic. You know, I didn't realize I could save so much money. I didn't realize I could do this or do this and do that. So it's, it's priceless. It's essentially priceless. So like I said, that's exactly why I'm in the game. Well, you know, you're in a country uh, um, that is very friendly for dual citizenship. I have a uh, website. We put it up in an hour because I thought who should have put it up. Um, they said, I don't want to do that. So I said, wait, I have all the information. I'll put it up and it's called mall of Africa.Africa where we oh, show good. people, you know, where um, they can be permanent residents or dual citizens, but we also show investments, some that are under a thousand dollars that we have vetted. And like, we know everybody who's on there. It's not just, you know, people, anybody can get on there. I have to know you I have to see how you do business. Maybe I've done business with you. And, and the biggest thing that we hear in America, people say, I want to invest, but I don't want to have like a 99 year lease like I hear in Ghana. I want to be able to, you know, become a citizen eventually. And a lot of them make the mistake thinking citizenship will come like that just because you <laughs> land because you're special. That's called American yeah. privilege. It's not going to happen. <laughs> but in Nigeria, because we have influencers um, who have shown us like Dynas Demir that he, yeah. you can get citizenship um, there. Do you think that those laws and is there any official law in Nigeria that you know of by like a citizenship by investment on the books? Not the 419 that many of you guys <laughs> try to get duped by because you want it too quick. But is yeah. there anything official for citizenship by investment in Nigeria or anywhere else that you find interesting? So when it comes to citizenship in Africa, I wouldn't really rank Nigeria that, um, that high in terms of the ease of access to such things. Ghana ranks really high. Um, a place like Rwanda, maybe not for citizenship, but Ghana really is a place where there is a formal process where you can gain citizenship that is targeted at people coming from the diaspora, from the African diaspora. And that is by deliberate policy. In Nigeria, a couple of times, yeah, it can come about. It's at the pleasure, uh, the behest of the political leadership. There is nothing really in the law that says if you live in Nigeria for, say, 10 years or you've invested a certain amount of dollars, you're going to get citizenship. But rather than even address the, the ways that people can get it, let's even go to the roots. Why do you want citizenship? 
Is there some level of security or benefit or access you think you would get in a country like Nigeria if you have citizenship? And the answer is no. Now, if I'm looking for American citizenship, there's a reason. If I get the American passport, I can get access to much more countries. There are other kind of privileges that come with it. You know, so if I'm going to target it, there's a reason. But if you're doing it in Nigeria, where maybe all those other reasons do not exist, then my thinking is that we're, we're making a misconception about what citizenship can get us. I know people who are not Nigerians have lived in this country their whole lives. You can't tell the difference. They have access to anything and everything. They have access to land. There is no discrimination at all. You know, you can't even tell. At what point do you know if a person is a citizen? Maybe you're going to open a bank account. That's only when it plays up. But you can go 20 years in this country, and people don't even ask that question. Are you a citizen? Even as a Nigerian, I can't even imagine what kind of situation would come up. And maybe you're trying to buy land or marry a wife or not. All those things don't require citizenship. So I think the reason why, um, especially for Black Americans, is a sense of belonging. You're you okay. see you're you're looked at as a second class citizen sometimes, depending on how you came up, and everyone's situation is different. But the mm-hmm. fact that you know you can vote because to us voting has been ingrained that oh, you won't be okay. that you won't be asked to leave the country every, you know, some countries you have to leave every six months, you cross the border, you come right back. Not mm-hmm. to have to deal with that and to just have a, a real, you, you might even want to give up your American citizenship. There are oh, okay. white people that are giving up their American citizenship. I've interviewed one, the nomad capitalist, and he's, you know, multi-millionaire, multi-millionaire, but he's like, I never belonged in America. I don't necessarily agree with the, the politics. So he's like a citizen of St. Lucia. He's a citizen of all these other places. And, you know, without coming here and understanding the stress as a as a guest, a tourist, you'll love America. But the stress of, you know, possibly being pulled out of your car just because that's not a white and black issue. You know, you see more black people having it done online. But when we look at the stats, the police here. It can happen to anybody. More white people get killed by the police than anybody, hmm. you know? And so yeah. that's why to say, I don't have to deal with America. And you, I don't know if you know this, but in America, if I go to Nigeria, I'm still going to have to pay taxes, especially if I have money. Exactly. You know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The foreign taxes. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's strange. I think America is one of the very few countries that does that. Yes. It's like so they're, actually that's pushing, why. they're actually pushing you to give up your citizenship. And that is why if you have two coins together, you're like, wait, I get a 90,000, you know, tax credit. But if I make more than that, now you guys are taking too much. And so that that's the reason why, even though I know to many people, it's like, why would you give up American citizenship? But people have various reasons to do it depending on where they're at. But I understand too what you're saying. You don't need it. No one's going to bother you. But it's just the fear that someone can pull you out like they did most deaf because he owed child support. They pulled him out of, you know, Africa and say, you got to go, you got to come back for child support, you know. Hmm. Um, And in in Nigeria, that would never happen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you could you could you could get lost in Nigeria. And you know, the, the interesting thing is I used to work in the oil industry, and at the time I started noticing you know, many of the expatriates who worked in the industry had Nigerian spouses. You know, and I was beginning to wonder, you know, this Australian, this American, white American, you know, they have a Nigerian spouse and things like that. But the, the, the advantage is that it helps to ground you because and not really on the, citizen sh- on the citizenship side. You're married to an African, so you know how important it is to be an in-law. It's like you have a new family. They see you like family. They treat you like family. It's like, so it's not just a formal contract that you're marrying our sister or our daughter. You actually are a son, and they mean it. So it's that. And, and for Americans, sometimes it can be strange because, you know, um, but when they see how somebody else you know, takes them in and says, you're our son. And you're always surprised when I meet them on the shuttle, on the plane, and I say, okay, your wife is from, oh, you, you are you are in-law. And then he laughs. 
You know, mm-hmm. because everybody says, okay, if you're from that part, if you're married from this part of the country, you're my in-law. And there are certain benefits that are called an in-law. If an in-law visits you, there's more or less, it's like a standard. It's like cultural law. There are benefits you have to give them. There's a way you have to treat them, you know, things like that. So these things may not be common elsewhere. And that's why sometimes people are surprised that Africa works with all the madness, with all the corrupt leadership, with all the inept leadership. Africa actually works. And that's because, you see, the political structure we have now is like, it's not ours. It's imported. Before, before the colonialists came, Africa was actually being run somehow. Now, because they, they didn't understand how Africa was run, doesn't mean that it was, you know, nothing was happening. In fact, there are even um, um, tips that they didn't realize what was happening. They said, you know, these savages, you know, these guys are savages, but you're looting their artifacts, very sophisticated works of art. You've taken them to your museums in the West. Hundred years later, you're refusing to give them back. Artworks by savages. You know, and you know, so these are the things that built African society, the norms, the tradition. All of them were not perfect. Some of them were actually um, not, not, not solid. But then that's the reason why we still exist. And I like to tell people sometimes that when you look at America, and I say, what are the major divisions in America in terms of distinct groups? You may have your Native Americans, you have the African Americans, you have the Caucasian Americans, and then you have the Hispanics. Maybe more or less, we can, we can count in the Asian Americans and things like that. But more or less, you have like five, six divisions, tops. In a typical African country, for example, like mine, we have more than 300 distinct groups. Now, all of you guys, all the six groups I mentioned in America, all of you guys still speak English, right? In Nigeria, for example, the 300 groups have their own languages. They have their own cultures. They have their own ways of dressing. They have their own ways of... Um, traditions like marriage, when people die, how you perform, and you put all of us together and we're trying to build a nation. 300 distinct groups. Why the hell wouldn't there be civil war? Why wouldn't there be strife? Why wouldn't it be difficult to govern? Why wouldn't you have corruption? Why wouldn't you have nepotism? People trying to favor people from their own tribes. So if you look across the world, the real places, the real place where nation building is happening is actually in Africa. Because you, you forced different people together. And now we have to make compromises. We have to work as a team and move forward. That's why we are slow. That's why it looks like, you know, there's no development. There's nothing. Because we are trying to build a real nation. You know, so, and so for example, a typical African speaks what? Two, three languages before they even speak English. Right now I'm speaking English, but I can speak two, three others. So, and you know, where else in the world? And maybe if I meet a typical American who hasn't left America, at best they can speak English yeah. with the accent, the extra yeah. benefit. But then maybe they can speak Spanish, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe. But the typical yeah. African has one or two local languages and then has to put English on top because we need English to work across our groups. That's how we then are able to communicate and stuff like that. So people need to understand what's simmering beneath and not just look at the surface and say, these guys just don't get it. I, don't, I wonder why, after everything we've done for you, you guys are still backward. It's because we're trying to build a nation. That's why, across the continent, that from South Africa to Egypt to everywhere, that's what's trying to happen. We're trying to cook something. Man, and, and you're cooking it. And I'm not going to give everybody the game overload because, you know, JP has his own podcast. You guys have to, like, really get yourself drunk in his website. Mm-hmm. The same way you like Guinness, you need to just take that Guinness <laughs> and just start going through everything that he has, you know, the, the programs. He has something for everybody. And, again, he is the co-author of this great book. But, you know, with all the great works that you're doing, and you've, you've mentioned so many what is a community give back that you are doing you've mentioned so many of them but are there any in the anything else that you want to do in the future with the success that you're having oh so at at some time in the future i I think i've already started it um i want to start having those big and important conversations that's essentially we we may be having in certain parts but it's not really getting the traction that we need for example when it comes to education ad- advocacy, I think we're running the education system the wrong way on the continent. You know, for example, 
the education system is built to make sure that professors and teachers get paid. Nobody is looking at what's the, 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 the customer. The customer is a student, right? So I leave school. Nobody guarantees me I'm going to get a job. Now, the way you should work is, if you're asking me to come to your university, I'm applying to your university, as I see in some other parts of the world, you then tell me that some of our graduates work in Coca-Cola, ExxonMobil, you know, um, there's a 64% chance that when you, when you graduate, you're going to get a job. We don't have those metrics here. So you, you come to school, you pay your fees, but then we leave you under the bus. You go fend for yourself, go get a job. Nobody's measuring the performance of the institutions on the basis of the quality of their output. We are just measuring every single time you have the schools go on strike. It's because the teachers are protesting about their, their, their salaries. And universities are not built to take care of teachers. Universities are built to produce solid quality, people that will be productive to the economy, people who can um, create jobs or become solid employees, whatever. So that's a conversation I think we need to have. The second type of um, um, advocacy I'm looking at is how we can use the entrepreneurial activity on the continent to disrupt many of the major problems we have. One of them is corruption. For example, I don't think there's any number of sanctions or talk or pressure from the international community that's going to disrupt corruption on the African continent. And here's how I know. More than 90% of the wealth that's stolen from Africa, either by corrupt politicians or multinationals that are um, you know, you know, not paying what they're supposed to pay, most of that wealth is not in Africa. They move it to Europe, the Middle East, and to North America. So most of the stolen funds are not here. They're sitting in banks abroad. And for that to happen in a banking system that has all these controls about um, anti-money laundering and all these things, and you know that these people are politically exposed people and you're keeping their money. And then when we find out, you say, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know it was stolen funds. You knew. So these guys are getting help from outside the continent. So don't come and say, you guys have corrupt leaders. Those corrupt leaders, are not, are not, are not, the money is not here. The money is with you guys in the West. So if you want to really fight corruption on the African continent, don't come give us the spiel and the, the talk about hold your leaders accountable. How the hell do you want ordinary people to do that? When you have financial institutions abroad who aid and abet corruption, and then when we get them, you just hand them a fine, $20 million fine, $60 million fine. What? I would gladly pay 60 million if I still have 500 million left. So it's a game that's going on. So I think these are the conversations that, that, that need to, but not to bore you with that. For anybody who's listening to this, I think the best place to start will be to head over to smallstarter.com. If you're interested in the courses, it's smallstarter.com slash courses. And if you are at that point where you know you need help with your idea, with your small business that's struggling to survive, with a growing business that's crumbling because, you know, it's exceeded your personal capacity or you're trying to turn around the business. Head over to smallstarter.com slash insiders. That's where we work in the community to build businesses. Thank you. You, you guys, I, I know this is December when you're hearing this, if you're hearing it fresh. For those of you who celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas, you just got your gift. That mm -hmm. is the game. I thank John Paul. All his links will be in the description box. We're going to take this off air because you guys got to keep tuning into these podcasts. You got to go to get his courses. He has other books out there as well. So much content out there. So make sure you like, share, subscribe for those who listen. Make sure you share it to everybody you know, especially if you have a love and an interest in Africa. Be blessed. Thank you, JP. Thank you. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifiedGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.